I'm excited about this morning because we're continuing this, this series. It's just going to take us four weeks, I think. And we have this incredible passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 5 that we, I say we in general, but a, a lot of people are familiar with what's known as the fruit of the Spirit. Not that you could quote all nine of them, but they're there and you've heard of them. And I wanted to make sure last week that we understood that the fruit of the Spirit's not like a checklist like we like to have, right? Okay, I need to do that and that and that and that. It's not like that with the fruit of the Spirit, although we do need to recognize things that we need to let the Holy Spirit win on. But the fruit of the Spirit is a result of us walking in the Spirit. And as we are living this Spirit-filled life, then these are the evidences. Some people call them graces. And so what we are doing in this study, so that we don't end up being here for 10 weeks on the same topic, hitting, you know, all nine fruit of the Spirit, um, we are grouping them um, in threes because I think it makes sense that the first three fruit of the Spirit, they feel to me like these are God-word fruit of the Spirit, God-word graces, if you would, love, joy, and peace. And you'll understand that better once we get into the message today. And then next week, we're going to do ones that I think are more uh, man-word, like, like they are our relationships with each other, and that would be long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. And then it seems to me like there's another turn with the final three, and that is kind of these graces, how they affect us. They're inward, and that would be uh, faith, meekness, and temperance. So these are how we are going to group them together, and, and I'm not going to argue with you if you think they ought to be done differently, um, but uh, that's, that's kind of how we are going to handle them. And I, to be honest with you, it's a lot to try and cover three of these incredible graces in one service, but I think what you'll see is that they work so well together. And I don't think it's any mistake that God did it the way that he did it. So Galatians chapter 5, if you have your Bible, Galatians chapter 5, it is one of the books of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul. And if you know much about Paul, he was a missionary. Uh, he was a devout Jew, and then he, got, uh, he met Christ. Christ changed his life and rather than being a persecutor of the church, he became the greatest missionary who's ever lived, aside from Jesus Christ himself. And he evangelized the non-Jewish world. That was kind of his calling. And he would go around on these missionary journeys, and he would plant churches wherever he would go. One of them was in the city of Galatia. And so that's why this book is called Galatians. So he left there and he writes back to them. Sometimes he would write back to the churches to encourage them, like you see in the book of Philippians. Sometimes he would write back to them to correct issues, like the book of First and Second Corinthians. And then you have Galatians here where he's just giving some great doctrine of the faith, and he is reinforcing them and, and encouraging them. And so we found out last week in, in chapter 5 that, that there is this conflict in the Christian life between what we know we ought to do and what we want to do, right? It's the flesh and the spirit always pulling against each other. And he listed out for us this, the, the, the works of the flesh, and we read all of those last week. So if left to our own devices, if, if we just let our natural life, our flesh take over, this is what the result would be. And there was a long, discouraging list of how we would act. And then he turned the page and he said, you know, but if you will walk in the Spirit, 
If you'd pay attention to the Holy Spirit, and we talked about that last week, about acknowledging your need for that, and that He lives inside of you, and that He has a will for your life, and it's just a matter of us connecting with Him, and listening to Him, and pausing, and waiting before we react, and then taking a step of faith, and and that walking in the Spirit looks a lot like walking in faith, and and we talked about that, and then here you have at the end of chapter 5, this listing of what the fruit of that looks like. But it's, again, it's not the fruit of a Christian, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And it's as the Holy Spirit lives out his purposes in your life, you end up with this, and it says this in verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And I think it's incredibly appropriate that the Apostle Paul starts with this four-letter word, love. And the reason is, out of love flows all of the other fruit of the Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. If you ever want to do a great study of comparing maybe some passages of Scripture, compare the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 to the characteristics of love that we find in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. And it describes what love looks like, and it is characteristic to characteristic, almost identical. There's a few changes, but here you have Paul listing for us in 1 Corinthians 13 what love looks like, and then you have him showing what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in Galatians chapter 5, and it's almost a mirror image. It's beautiful. And so I think that it's appropriate that he starts the list off of the fruit of the Spirit, these graces, with the word love. Now, just to kind of give you a little background, because I'm kind of a word nerd, I like to, I like to kind of study a little bit deeper and kind of find out. And, and what I found out was that there are four Greek words that are all translated love, but they all mean something completely different. And so if you go back, you know, the Bible was not obviously written in English, okay? The New Testament was originally written in what they call Koine Greek. And I only said that to impress you. Um, But it was written in Koine Greek, and then it was translated into different languages all the way down through. And then then finally you have it translated into uh, formally into English and kind of then informally since then. We have different versions of it today. Um, And so we have the dilemma... And I think I looked this up, uh, I was talking to my daughter about this the other day, and we looked up and there was only like, I can't remember, don't hold me to it, but like 5,400 Greek words in the New Testament. Only 5,400 different Greek words. And then we looked up how many English words we have in our vocabulary today, 174,000. So understand the dilemma. You have 5,000 plus Greek words that make up your New Testament, and we'd have to translate in that to 170,000 English words. You start to get the idea of why there's so many different versions of the Word of God. Because everybody kind of feels a little differently about what that word meant. So we have, in the Greek, four different words for love. Only three of them appear in our New Testament. And I'd like to kind of go into them just a little bit, just to kind of expand your brain a little bit, to kind of give you an idea of of what love might actually mean. And we're going to go a little bit deeper with what it means to us today, because I think that love is such an important part of the fruit of the Spirit. So the first and probably most base word, Greek word for love, is the word eros. 
we get the word erotic from that. And everybody got really com- uncomfortable all of a sudden. You feel that? Let me just, anyway. All right, so that's, we're, we get the word erotic from the word eros in the Greek. And you can already kind of get an idea of what it means. It is an erotic love. It's only focused on self-satisfaction. It's a one-way street. It's what you can do to make me happy. I love you. I eros you because you satisfy me. You do something for me. It loves somebody else because of a certain characteristic about that person or a certain set of characteristics about that person. And when that characteristic is no longer present, I no longer love you. That's eros. Then there's one that maybe you may have heard before, and that is the word phileo. Notice pronunciation just rolls off my tongue. The word phileo, you got to get my humor, people. Loosen up a little bit, all right? I'm just, that's just how I roll. I mean, it just, you know, don't be sitting there going like, "Eh, does he really think that about himself? No, I don't. That's my humor, okay? I have self-depreciating humor. Um, Anyway, all right. And it's depreciated a lot today. So you have, you have phileo love, and that is like, like, like Philadelphia. What's the nickname of Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love, right? So phileo is a brotherly love. Now, it's a step up from eros because eros is a one-way street. I only love you because of what you can do for me. Phileo is, it's a mutual beneficial, mutually beneficial relationship. It has to do with affection. It responds to the kindness it's been shown or the love it feels or the appreciation that it feels. Um, it involves giving as well as receiving. It's a higher love than eros because it is concerned about our mutual benefit rather than just my own self-satisfaction. And then you have the word, and this is the one that's not found in the Greek in this form uh, in, the, in the New Testament, and that is the word storge, and it is a devoted love. And it kind of mixes both affection and obligation. So it's like you normally would hear this type of love expressed um, in a familial um, uh, realm. So, so I, I'm devoted to this person. I'm caring for this person. It's committed. It's very respected. Um, all right, so then we have the fourth one, and that is the word agape, and many of us have heard that phrase before. And the word agape is an unconditional love. And this is where I have a big dilemma. Because it's like we're humans. And the idea of loving unconditionally, it just seems too grand for us to be able to actually do. I mean, loving unconditionally, regardless of how you treat me, is... is something that's just, and maybe it's because I'm a guy. And, and I'll be honest with you, I think guys love differently than ladies do. No offense. I'm just saying, I think, I think we love differently, not, not good or bad. I'm just saying, I think that a mother has a greater ability to love unconditionally. I, th- I, think, it, I think it is. And you may not have that in your relationship, and I respect that. I'm just telling you, my experience has been that a mother's love is different than a dad's love. It's just it, they have more of that in them, but I think that's a good example. But it delights in giving. Agape love um, is not, I love this phrase, it's not kindled by the merit or worth of its object. 
So who you are or what you mean to me is not what is relevant. It's how I feel about you. That's unconditional love. It keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, and unworthy. It is the noblest word for love in the Greek language. And guess what? It's hardly found anywhere outside of the Bible. But it is about all you find in the word of God. And so most of the time, whenever you read the word love in the Bible, wow, this is the kind of love it's talking about. So how are we doing? I mean, this is what is supposed to exemplify the church. This is who we are supposed to be. And the idea that agape love is the standard by which we are to be treating each other and treating those within, without the body of Christ is almost unattainable in and of and by itself. But here's the cool thing. We've been empowered to love this way. Prior to your relationship with Christ, I would understand that this almost is an impossibility. Now, I'm not saying that there's nobody in the history of the world that hasn't loved this way outside of the body of Christ. I'm just saying that we, as the body of Christ, have been empowered to love this way because, first of all, we've, ex- we've actually experienced that love for ourselves because we've been loved that way by God. And so we have experienced this incredible agape love because of the relationship that we get to have with Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 says this, and walk in love, agape, as Christ also loved us. So he's like, you've already been loved that way. Now you love others that way. And then a beautiful verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commended or he showed his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were absolutely unworthy, unthankful. We had no desire to get closer to God. And he gave his son. Unconditional love. We have been empowered to love this way because we've experienced this love ourselves. And then second of all, because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. I mean, we, we have the love living inside of us. I mean, you understand that. That's because we, we have a member of the Godhead that walks through life with us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says this, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That means that it is poured into, largely over-distributed. So we have this love in our hearts enough to overflow and affect those relationships around us in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So we have the ability to love agape other people because we've experienced it and we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of it and he's the source of it. That ought to encourage you. But what you're thinking is, Okay, some things are going to have to change here. God, I was talking with Stephen quickly between the services, and it's, it's easy to understand the truth. It's hard to implement it. And so what I'm doing is I'm giving you this really good truth, and you're going, 
wow, I'm going to change how I love. I know, it's, it's, it's heavy stuff. This is like Christianity 201, not 101. This is like, this isn't remedial anymore. So this love is what sets the believer apart. It's who we're supposed to be. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. I only put 11 up there, but I'm going to read the first half of, of 10 here. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then he says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, if God agaped us, we ought also to love one another. And that just makes sense. If God agaped us, shouldn't we agape somebody else? I mean, it's like we have been forgiven much. And we've been loved well. And we've enjoyed it and experienced it. And we revel in it. And we live it every day. And we are, in, we are existing because of it. How dare we withhold that love from somebody else? Because they don't act the way we think they ought to act, or they don't treat us the way we think they ought to treat us. That's heavy stuff. John records the words of Christ in the book of John, chapter 13, where Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if ye have love one to another. It is the defining characteristic of the body of Christ. How are we doing? How are we doing with each other? How are we doing in our relationships? The defining characteristic is not I love you because you're nice to me. I just love you. And I just want what's best for you. I want to agape you well. It's not natural. That's the thing. It's supernatural. It's not natural, but this, it's a choice. And I think that's what we miss out on. Because agape isn't just a warm, fuzzy feeling that you get one day. Agape is a decision that I am going to love this way. It's not natural. It's a choice. It's not easy, but here's the encouraging thing. It's in you. It's, you have it in you to make it happen because of who you walk with, because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you can talk to me afterwards and say, but you don't understand this person. I get it. They're a jerk. They're an idiot. They're hateful. They're horrible. And just because you love them doesn't mean they need to have power over your life and doesn't mean you condone their behavior. And they may be an awful person. But we are commanded to love and love well because we've experienced it. And here's what's beautiful. (laughs) If you do this right, if you love well, it will be accompanied by joy. So do you see how the fruit of the Spirit are working here? So you start with love, and you love well, and then joy is the natural result, the supernatural result. Because here's what happens. When you love people well, you begin to see things differently. You see life differently. 
You see circumstances differently. You see people differently because you're loving them well. You're loving them the way Jesus wants you to love them. I mean, if Jesus looked at you before he came to earth and tried to qualify you for his death, it never would have happened. But he saw something. He saw something in your future. He saw some, he saw some kind of relationship that was possible. And here's the thing. Not, anybody, not everybody cares. So Jesus Christ died to save the whole world. But a great percentage of the world could care less. And he loves them anyway. And if we would just love well, it would be accompanied by joy. John Piper said this, I read after him sometimes, and he says this, he says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. But he didn't stop there. Produced by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) As he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in in his word and in this world. And then I added, and in people. Because it is, it is this relationship with Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit that causes us to see things differently and see people differently and love them well, and then the result is joy. So maybe we're doing this all wrong. I mean, we want to be happy in this world, and we want to have joy. We want our circumstances to improve, and we want people to change. We want them to behave the way we think they ought to behave. We want it to get better. We want them to do better so that we can have joy. But what I'm seeing here is that it starts with my own supernatural love from God for others. I mean, how many times have you heard, there's not much you can do to change somebody else, but you can change yourself. And so my question is, not what do they have to do to become who you think they ought to be. My question is, what do you need to become to see them differently. My question is not not what, what circumstance needs to change to bring you joy. My question is, how do you need to see the circumstance in order to change your attitude about it so that you have joy? It's like that aha moment. I see a lot of people wearing glasses. Most of us wear contacts. When I was in seventh grade, right, I got my first pair of glasses. And you just get used to not seeing well. And then I remember walking out of Pearl Vision Center. Anybody remember them? Now, this is like a long time ago. Where like you went in and then it took like, you know, two weeks to get them in. And I went down to pick them up and they were like big glasses. Because we're like, you know, 1979. They were tinted blue on the bottom. Look out, ladies. <laughs> Seventh grade, tinted blue glasses. And I walked out of the Provision Center, and I saw leaves on the trees. Whoa. Wow, look at this. Man, these are great. I should have gotten glasses a long time ago. Now I can see the chalkboard at school. I don't have to sit on the front row. I mean... You know what I'm talking about. It's like it's that aha moment where, wow, what a difference it makes. 
It's that there's there's an artist. His name is Bernard Praz. And this guy takes junk and he arranges it in such a way that it looks like junk one way and it looks like a beautiful portrait another. I got a video I want to show you so you see what I'm talking about. This is like how perspective can change. Look at Bernard's work here. You've probably seen this. It's just, it's been around for a little while. Check it out. It's just trash, just joke. I don't know how he does it, but it's like, uh, you know, it's what, what changed was not the junk. It was the perspective of the viewer, right? It's like, it was the same stuff. Nobody moved it to make it look better for you. You had to kind of reposition yourself. I don't know. Maybe we just need to love better rather than everybody else need to change to make us happy. Maybe we need to love well and accept and accept life as God brings it our way. Because I know this, Paul commanded us in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He said, he said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And the word joy and the word rejoice are very similar. I think it's like kaira and kairios in the Greek. So it's like, it's so similar because rejoice is like experiencing joy again. So Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice in the word always is like, there's not a time when you should not be. So if we are commanded in Scripture to be joyful and to rejoice, and if it's a fruit of the Spirit, then it's possible, regardless of circumstance, regardless of the person, to have joy in your life. So here's the beautiful thing. You love well, you have joy. Then as we continue walking in the Spirit, then we begin to experience peace. And I'll be honest with you, the older I get, the more important this is to me. Like when I was younger, I was like, roll up my sleeve. Let's just, let's just make things happen. Let's just change everybody. Everybody needs to see things my way. And the older you get, you're just like, it's not about that. And it's, you know, God's been around for a long time, right? I mean, I've been around for like 50 years. I know, it's surprising. Um, you had no idea. Um, but it's like you have, even after 50 years, I just want peace in my home. I want my family to be at peace. I want to I live at peace. I want peace in my surroundings. I want peace in my relationships. And sometimes peace is not because everybody is behaving the way I think they ought to behave. Sometimes peace is just because I'm all right with it. Because I focus on what's really important. You know, and and I'm 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 German, okay? And that's its own burden in a lot of ways. 
because I'm right about everything. And I have to, you know, I'm surrounded by people who don't see things the, the correct way. Um, and, and if you know any German people, you understand the humor in that. Um, my dad was full-blooded German, God help us. And there was just no way you could make the man happy. And then he got older. And he began to see things a little differently. It's like God's eternal. He's been around a long time. And he knows what it's like to have peace. And peace is not always about everybody else changing. And peace is not always about all of your circumstances getting better. Peace comes as a result of a spirit-led life. When you learn how to love people well, and peace will follow. I put part of a verse up here on the screen, but I'm going to read the verse prior to it and the rest of the verse. Oh, and I got it all up there. Smarter than I thought I was. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are of the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But then here's the big thought. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You just look at things differently. It's what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. Let me close with this. So, so the peace that we're going to experience is going to be threefold. First of all, you're going to have peace with God. As you love well, you receive his love, and you love others, you're going to have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if you don't have peace with God, You're just never going to be at peace. And I don't know where you are in your relationship with him. Maybe there is no relationship. You have no idea what I'm talking about. It is so available, and he so wants to have that. So much so that he sent his son. He's already paid for your sin. He's already made it happen. The invitation is waiting. You just have not clicked yes. You've not opened it up and responded. He is so ready and willing to have this relationship with you. He's already taken care of everything. Expenses paid. That's why we celebrated the Lord's Supper earlier. To recognize the fact that everything has been taken care of. Peace with God is possible because of Jesus Christ. And then also the peace you'll experience is peace with others. And I won't get into it because it's too long a passage, but if you'd read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 19, it talks about how the death of Christ has broken down barriers between us. And regardless of your nationality or your race, you can have this peace among brethren with each other because of the unifying characteristic of Jesus Christ. Peace with others. And then peace within yourself. And this is the most elusive, I think, because we know ourselves. We know the stuff that we do. We know, we know the battles that we have. And we know the, the demons that haunt us, if you will. And that lack of peace within ourselves. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 say, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That's verse 6. Verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, 
which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what? Right? So, so what do we do with all of this? There's not a big to-do list. Just love well. So here's the beauty of it. As you walk in the Spirit, and if you miss that, you can pick it up on iTunes or, or um, off our website. Listen to last week's message. But if you walk in the Spirit, it becomes possible to love well. And I'm not pretending like I got it figured out. Talk to my, you can talk to my family and realize I don't. But I'm working on it, and I'm trying to love people well. And what's amazing is that when we focus on that, there's the to-do. If we focus on loving people well, agape love, not phileo, like what's in it for me and what's in it for you. I mean, I'm just going to love that person. I'm going to see them as God sees them. I'm going to love them the way God loves them because i got the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me, and that's the love that I've experienced myself. And as you love them well, the natural result is going to be joy. And then the natural result, then, then there's going to be peace. So your to-do list this morning is one item, love well. Take a look at your relationships. Who are you expecting to improve to make your life better? How about just loving them well? And again, I want you to be, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about permissiveness or looking the other way or excusing sin or not telling the truth. I'm talking about emotionally how you treat them. You love them well. And I think it'll make all the difference in the world, in your lives and in your world. So we're to pray. Father, we ask for your help and strength and wisdom because we, in our flesh, just do not have the capacity to do what you've commanded us to do. But because you have given us your Holy Spirit, because we've experienced this kind of love, I know it's possible. It's not natural. It's not easy, but it's a choice. And I pray, Father, we'd make that decision to love well. And, Father, you're an incredible example. And maybe, Father, there's somebody in here this morning. They feel like they're on the outside looking in. They, they don't know what that love feels like because they've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that that would happen this morning and that they would be one of the folks that turn to Christ and respond to the love that he has shown them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.